Christmas, a beautiful time of year to remember the gift of Jesus. Come sit for a moment, friend, as we share from God's Word how to live faithfully in a fear-filled world, just like Mary and Joseph and others did in their own frightening times. This Sweet Sela Moments podcast is brought to you by Sweet Sela Ministries and Word Radio. Welcome to the Sweet Sela Moments podcast. Happy December, everyone. Sharon and I are going to wrap up season four with three episodes about the first Christmas. Our overall theme is titled Faithful Living in a Fear-Filled World. Today's episode, episode 62, is called Dare to be Different. We're going back in time to first century Israel, looking at how Jesus' relatives handled life in a fear-filled world. Sharon, why this topic at Christmas time? Well, Nicole, I think it's easy to think when we're in the middle of scary times like we are right now that our generation is seeing things that are more frightening and more Mm. ominous and more scary than ever before in history. Mm. And in one sense, that's good if it makes us long for Christ's return, which we should do in every generation. (laughs) But in another sense, it's not necessarily true that we have it harder than everybody else. If we look through history, we see there have been countless scary times, times of turmoil and unrest, plagues. How about the Black Death? That Mm, was pretty scary. (laughs) Diseases, wars, famines, slavery, abuse. It's just sadly true that Mm. humankind is messed up. Mm -hmm. And in every single century, we get ourselves into all sorts of trouble. It's true. Well, Jesus was born into troubled times, just like every human is. No different from today, and like today, in some ways, his life was okay. Rome was in charge of everything, mm-hmm. which meant there was sort of peace. I mean, peace by conquering. Right. Yeah, <laughs> sort of a weirdo peace. <laughs> but the, the roads were there, the aqueducts were there. They had some kind of a system of taking care of people mm-hmm. like we have today. But at the same time, it's not all fun and games to be living in your own country, but but not in charge of it, you know, Mm, to have a conquering nation over you. So, researching friend, I asked (laughs) you to look into that. What was it like living under the thumb of Rome in first century Mm. Israel? Tell me about it. I I will. (laughs) Well, thank you. So first, we have to remember that no one had heard from God for over 400 years at this point. He had been silent. Yeah. So, you know, that must have been really hard on his people to not be hearing from the prophets and hearing directly from God. And to top it off, they are now be ru- being ruled by a king appointed by Rome and not by God. King Herod was very liked by Caesar, and he worked hard to stay in his good graces hmm. and not on being a good ruler to his new people. <laughs> and the Jewish people were still um, <clears throat> required to pay taxes, and it was devastating on them. Yeah. The Romans taxed everything. And on top of the Roman taxes, they were still required to pay tithes and do the necessary sacrifices to the local priests, so that also added to their despair and their burden. So they're pretty poor. They're extremely poor. So I think it kind of took the joy out of going to the temple and doing the sacrifices and paying tithes because it was still required on top of everything else. So it just kind of took away a lot of that, the joy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the census that Mary and Joseph traveled far to partake in was also evidence that the people were under a really oppressive rule. It wasn't optional. People had to come from near or far or there would be a penalty. Caesar Augustus wanted the whole world to be counted, and this was so that he would be able to tax people with what? greater accuracy. <laughs> More taxes. Like, he's pretty greedy. Good grief. <laughs> 
And all the tax money was largely going to support the lavish lifestyle of the people living in Rome. So that obviously created even more animosity towards the Roman rule. Whatever Rome said to do, they had to do it. You had kind of mentioned it, but the Jewish people were almost exiles in their own land. You know, they were. Yeah, they weren't free to live the way that they wanted to live. Mm -hmm. So it's really Mm -hmm. sad. They were living, you know, they were living in poverty and hopelessness. And besides the heavy taxes and fear of the new rulers, many different groups arose out from among the Jewish people themselves with warring ideas on how to deal with this, Jew- with this Roman opposition. So riots among them were common. So the Jews were even fighting among themselves. Huh. There was no peace in Jerusalem. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Like these, they, it was a rough time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I can understand the factions even within their faith because it's really easy in hard times to disagree violently We've yes. seen it oh, yes. in our own time instead of kindly. Mm. Yikes. Well, then, they truly <laughs> lived in scary times, too. Yes. <laughs> well, not to mention the punishments that were doled out. You know, nowadays, you're imprisoned if you've done something wrong, and eventually, right. after, you know, your appeals run out, you might get the electric chair. Mm. Back then, it was pretty swift, and you were crucified oh, in yes. public hanging on a cross where everybody was staring at you. So they had that violence on top of everything else. (laughs) That's true. They had that too. (laughs) So I think we've established that we live in scary times, but so did they. Yes. You know, in our times, we look at our children and our grandchildren, and we can easily start to worry about kidnapping and Mm. deceptions that will lead them astray. You know, when Ray was in the Persian Gulf War, which mm-hmm. was years ago now, and also a scary time in my life, yeah. I stuck this awesome quote on my fridge Aww. so that I, every time I opened the refrigerator, I would read it because mm. I needed it all the time. Yes. <laughs> I was reading Streams in the Desert, which is a really oh. old-fashioned book. It was just basically a collection of quotes that helped this missionary woman whose husband was crippled. To, to get through life in oh, a way she nice. hadn't expected to. She called it streams in a desert, you know? Wow. Just so, I love the name. It's Anyways, beautiful. this is written by Arthur Summers Roche, and it's just, I love it. I've mm. memorized it. It mm. says this, Worry is a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. Mm. If encouraged, it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. Wow, isn't, isn't that, that so truth. true? Yeah. <laughs> Worry is a thin stream of fear, but if we encourage it, pretty soon you've, got, you've dug a channel, you know, mm. like the Grand Canyon River at the bottom, and every thought becomes consumed with that worry. Wow, yeah. Worry does no good. Mm-mm. So living in scary times, the response is not to get all stressed out about it, Nicole. <laughs> it just isn't. And dig that trench. <laughs> right, and dig the trench. So how do you guard your thoughts against fear when we live in a world that's literally trying to scare us daily mm. with potential war and nuclear weapons and disease and chaos everywhere? We could easily fall into that canyon. Of I despair. feel like we could, <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, I used to try to do it by being overprepared for whatever might possibly happen, but honestly, that made the fear worse. Yeah. Because I was depending on myself to keep us safe and anticipate any possible disaster. And it's exhausting. And I, I just can't. I can't keep us safe because I have no control no, over that. Exactly. <laughs> so now <laughs> um, I try to do kind of what you do with bitter thoughts. Every time I'm fearful, I stop and pray and give it to awesome. God. Awesome. Because mm-hmm. then you're just not digging that little trench. And you kind of, you know, you're giving it to God. 
And I'm also really selective about what I watch for news and what media I take in because even a few minutes with some of these sources and I'm all in a worry tizzy again. Yep. So. Yep. I think that's wise. Limit, limit, limit yeah. all the fear mongers out there that are yes. trying to get you revved up and scared every second. On all and every side. <laughs> yes. Yes. And turning it right away to prayer mm. where it will do some good. Exactly. Makes sense. Yep. Worry does no good. Praying does good. Mm. So yeah. Well, today... <laughs> we are going to look at two dear people who lived faithful lives right in the midst of terrifying times. Mm. I mean, we talked about Romans and crucifixions, but even King Herod was pretty nasty. He really was. Even the secular records of him, Sharon, do not paint a pleasant picture. <laughs> Herod the Great was very paranoid and ambitious, and he had at least three of his own sons killed and one of his wives because he believed they were conspiring against him. Oh, joy. So even his family wasn't safe from his. No, they were, they were scared of him. <laughs> yeah. So this is why the news of a new king being born, baby Jesus, really unnerved him. He did everything he could to protect his power, even ordering thousands of innocent children to be killed in order to protect his throne. It's so awful. All boys to and under gone. Like, I can't even imagine that. No. And even when Herod was dying, he was so despised at that point and had become so bitter toward the people that he ruled that he asked his sister to kill a large group of the Jews after he died. Just to spite them. What? Isn't that horrible? Yes. (laughs) I guess he locked up a bunch of men from every village in Judea so that this could happen. But thankfully, his sister disobeyed him when he died and released the prisoners after. (laughs) Oh, my word. So, and even the one good thing he did, he helped to rebuild the temple, um, but he used a lot of influence from the pagan temples in Rome. So Uh I think even that was probably a little bit disconcerting for the Jewish people. Yeah, it's like, this isn't exactly how God said this temple should be built. Right, it has, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. things worshiping false gods. So he just wasn't a very pleasant person. (laughs) Okay, so against this background, with even the the king, who's supposedly on the Jewish people's side against them, we're going to look at Elizabeth and Zechariah's story in Luke chapter 1. So Mm. let's go back in time a bit. And we're going to ponder how they, how did they stay faithful with all these things against them? Yeah. And we're also going to look at a time when Zechariah did give way to fear, just a tad bit. <laughs> so, would you read the first part of the passage for us? Sure. Luke 1, I'm going to read verses 1 through verse 4. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They use the eyewitness report circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. Hmm. Most honorable Theophilus. Yes. (laughs) Don't you want to know what made him honorable? I know. Who was this guy? (laughs) Quite distinguished with this uh, fancy intro. Oh, man. (laughs) Well, I love that Luke has said right from the start that what I'm writing is going to be accurate. I'm mm. going to check out the eyewitness accounts. I want a thorough accounting. So he's sort of assuring us, I'm a historian here. I'm going to, he was actually a doctor, but he's yeah. acting like a historian. Right. I'm going to be careful with what I write. So mm. it's really cool. That is cool. That's so important too. I, I'm sure Luke realized the massive importance of the stories for all of us in the future. You know, he didn't want to just go off assumptions or his feelings, but he was very careful to make sure it was the truth and to record the facts and the truth. Yes. Yeah. That's so nice to see. Yeah. Okay, then. We have a careful man writing a well-researched gospel in order to preserve the truth. And he starts with <laughs> our couple of the day, Elizabeth <laughs> and Zechariah. So I'm going to continue reading verses 5 through 7. 
When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. Hmm. All right, so here they are. Well, Nicole, what would it have been like to be a priest under Hmm. King Herod? and the Romans. Yeah, it was hard to find a lot of information on the internet about this. I'm sure some scholars have some great books on it, but (laughs) from what I found, their influence and power over the people directly was undermined by the Roman control. Um, Priests were important decision-making figures in the Jewish community before, and the people respected them and looked to them for spiritual guidance. But now under King Herod, they were used as political tools, and people started to see this and and distrust them. Um, The Romans, in some cases, even took their priestly robes and wouldn't let them have them, except for special occasions that Rome had ordained they wear them, kind of like a showpiece sort of thing. So not, they just took away the dignity of it, you know? Mm -hmm. So it must have been really hard for them to have their sacred calling so controlled and taken over and defiled, really, by Rome. Wow. And yet at every turn, even though they're conquered people, Mm. um, our Zechariah and Elizabeth still obeyed the law. They were still faithful. Yeah. So despite all this, the Bible says that they were righteous in God's eyes and careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They didn't let what was happening around them stop them from serving and loving God as he had called them to do. There they are. There they doing are. the right thing. Yep. <laughs> even in the midst of it. Oh, we should learn from that. Instead of the worry tizzies, let's just, how about just doing the right thing? Let's just I keep know. doing the right thing. So let's read more about them. I think I like this couple. <laughs> So I'm going to read the next section again. So it's 8 through 24. It's a little bit longer, and it has Zachariah feeling a little fearful. Sharon, if I ever saw an angel like Zachariah does, I think I'd be fearful too. (laughs) Yeah, count me in on that one. (laughs) All right, starting at verse 8. One day, Zachariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside, praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For you will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or any other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to you to bring this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. 
Soon afterward, his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. Oh, can we start with Elizabeth? I know. What a sweet <laughs> response. Oh, my goodness. The fact oh. that she called childlessness a disgrace shows us that she really felt that full weight of condemnation. Oh, yeah given to women who couldn't bear children in her day. Mm. What a nasty thing. Like it's her fault. In. Right. Good gravy. It would have been horrible to Lesser. live with. But you know what? Her thwarted dreams never stopped her from obeying God, doing mm. what was right. She lived faithfully anyways. And when she gets pregnant, she's grateful. I know. You know, I mean, honestly, some women would be so bitter by this point. They'd mm. be like, really? Now I'm pregnant when right. I'm exhausted <laughs> and tired and I have to get up in the middle of the night and feed a kid. You right. Because <laughs> sometimes you can just be grumpy even about oh, yeah. blessings. And it came kind of late in her life. She might have thought, why in the world didn't I get this baby earlier? Right. You why know? now? I probably barely see him grow up. But no. Hmm. She's like, oh, God was kind to hmm. me. Kind. I know. She just rejoiced. <laughs> I love her. She received it. Me she too. Just it. She's such an inspiration. I do not think I would have been so kind. I think I would have been more on the, now I'm so old, I have to get up and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but clearly, Elizabeth was leaning on God all those years and walking with him. So they respond so well. So, yeah, you know, exactly. We see and her faithfulness. It. <laughs> yeah, it kind of gets, you kind of see who a person really is yeah. under extreme circumstances. Absolutely. And all she could think was God's kind. Oh. Man. Elizabeth. <laughs> well, back to Zechariah. So his punishment of not being able to speak because he didn't believe the angel kind of puzzles me. Yeah. It seemed like a simple question, but what do you, why do you think he was being disciplined in this way? Because it sounded like a discipline. It did, doesn't it? I don't know. I, I wonder if because what was coming up would require so much faith, you know, having a son so much older and raising the man to make the way for the Lord. Like, that's a big thing. It's kind of a big deal. You're right. So maybe it was a lesson in how important this was, like, so not to doubt or question. But, or maybe it was his heart wasn't in the right place to receive this miracle. And God wanted him to have time to ponder it before he spoke out of a heart of disbelief. Well, maybe he caused other people to be. That's true. That's true. Disbelieving. So You're it's hard right. to know. It is. <laughs> but whatever the reason, Zechariah gets a long and quiet yeah. time to ponder the miracle God gave him. Oh. And this stunning meeting he had with Gabriel, who mm. stands in the very presence of God. Yes, so he informed us. <laughs> his faith must have grown by leaps and bounds mm. and his humility right along with it, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I get to read the part where we see what the discipline of silence yields for Zechariah. For and you know what? Silence is good. Mm. And too often, we fill our lives with noise, noise, noise all mm. the time. Yes. And we are not quiet when we need to be. I can remember when we first got married, I came from a noisy household. Four kids, oh, yeah. shouted, and talked <laughs> over each other all the time, right? Ray, not so much. I'm also a morning person. Ray, definitely not so much. <laughs> oh, no. So I'd wake up in the morning and want to talk to him right away with right. all my words. <laughs> and Ray would be like, please don't talk to me. And so... We've established in our home a, a sort of an hour of silence in the morning. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I bring him his coffee. We're quiet. We do our quiet times. Yeah. And even when company comes, we say, um, we have a silent hour in the morning. Wow. Isn't that cool? That's wonderful. I'm going to try that with Clara. We'll see if it works. She may not respect that hour of quiet. She wakes up like you. She wakes up like me, and you're like, wow, haven't had so coffee happy. yet. Please stop. Right, Aww. right, right, right. So, and we do this in Sweet Sela, too. Yes. Whenever I do a retreat, I'm always saying, we're going to have a discipline of silence. Yeah. An hour 
to be still. So important. Because when we're still, God, who speaks in a whisper sometimes, Mm. can be heard. And Zechariah had nine full months of quiet (laughs) where God could be heard. (laughs) Oh, I know. And through that, I think he was. You're right. I think he was more capable. So anyways, all right. I'm going to read um, verses 57 to 66. We're skipping over Jesus's mother Mary's visit to Elizabeth Mm. while Elizabeth was still pregnant. We're going to look at that later. So 57. When it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. When the baby was eight days old, they all came for the circumcision ceremony, and they wanted to name him Zechariah after his father. But Elizabeth said, no, no, his name is John. Hmm. What? They exclaimed. There is no one in all your family with that name. (laughs) So they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. He motioned for a writing tablet, and to everyone's surprise, he wrote, his name is John. Instantly, Zechariah could speak again, and he began (laughs) praising God. Awe fell upon the whole neighborhood, and the news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, what will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. Isn't that cool? Wow, you know, it just makes cool. me realize everybody was watching John from birth. So when he did prepare the way of the Lord, yeah. they're like, oh, this is why he came. You know, because oh, right. he was kind of famous. Were, what will this child turn oh, out to be? I, I never saw that before. Yeah. That's so cool. That is neat. <laughs> I also love that the very first words that come out of Zechariah's mouth when he could speak again <laughs> Or praise. I know, not Yay. like whoosh, I can speak. <laughs> I know it. I know it. No, I think he definitely learned from that period of silence to give glory to God for his son. And I think we kind of see why. Like the whole neighborhood heard of this news and I think it kind of made it more like significant or out of the ordinary for a father not to speak and then suddenly to speak. So maybe that too helped turn eyes on to little John to see what he would Yeah. I mean who knows? Him. Yeah. yeah. But he was kind of famous from birth. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. Very neat. <laughs> and I love that both Elizabeth and Zechariah held out for that name. Yeah. John. That's interesting. That the angel had given them. They dared to be different. Mm. They said we're not going to follow tradition. They <laughs> named their baby something outside the ordinary. So what are some other ways this quiet couple were different from their culture, Nicole? Hmm. Well, like you just mentioned, the name thing was a big deal, Sharon. It was custom to name their children after a male relative. So even if that was shocking to everyone else, they didn't worry about that. Mm -mm. They obeyed God's command to name him John. And then they obeyed the command to circumcise him on the eighth day. So they were being faithful to their Jewish religion despite being in a defeated country. Also faithful despite feeling that God had seemed to ignore their prayers for a child for so long. Right, right. And also just being a priest set Zachariah apart a bit. But despite everything, they were faithful. And being faithful is actually daring to be different. It is. It is. Consistent faithfulness is strange. normal. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I love this couple's faithfulness no matter what. Mm -hmm. Just simply living out their lives in obedience to the Lord, even when things didn't go their way. Yeah. I've got to remember that when things don't go my way. (laughs) (laughs) They're great examples. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Well, let's finish this wonderful story by reading back and forth this time. First, Elizabeth's praises because they're full of praise when Mary arrives. And then John, still in her womb, leaping for joy. So even unborn John gets on the praise wagon. I love that part. That's so cool. It's so fun. (laughs) 
then Zechariah praises in his poetic prophecy. Mm. This man left all cynicism behind and declared God's truths boldly. Mm. May we be so bold in our own faith, huh? Yes. So, okay, Nicole, why don't you start with verse 39 of Luke chapter 1. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, the town where Zechariah lived. (laughs) He entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believe what the Lord, you believe that the Lord would do what he said. I love that part. Mm. And now we're going to skip to verse 67. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant, David. Just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant. The covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear. In holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide us to the path of peace. Oh, Zechariah. Beautiful. Isn't it just beautiful? The joy that's just oozing out of this man at this point. I love when he talks about his new, my little son. I just, that's so precious. Isn't it? Isn't it? They loved him. They (laughs) did. And they were prepared to be the parents of John Mm. because they endured years living kind of in obscurity in a hard place without a baby of their own, still doing it all right and not getting the child they wanted. And yet all of that was part of God's plan so that when John was born, he'd be seen as unique. Right. And so that they, in their old age, after having been faithful and daring to be different and not whine and complain, (laughs) um, would be more capable of raising John the way he needed to be raised. It's amazing. And I wonder if, I don't know how long they lived through John's adult years, but his adult life was also filled with strife and imprisonment and eventually beheading. So for them to have to live through their son's rather bizarre grown-up life in the, you know, the desert with locusts, like it must have been difficult for them even as he was grown up if they were still around. That's so true. So learning to be faithful and waiting for him and leaning on God probably carried them through his later years as well. Yes, it did. And it also, their daring to be different ends up with John daring to be different yes, as well. very different. <laughs> yes, John was really different. That's Crazy a clothes, story. <laughs> <laughs> so, so cool. So yeah. one of our life lessons here to live faithfully in a fearful world is simply to be faithful doing the dailies, right? Yes. Just do the daily stuff. And then who knows, God might swoop down and give us a surprise baby in our 60s. (laughs) Oh my word, wouldn't that be strange? (laughs) Or something else. But you know, God's never done with us. And I love that in my 60s myself, knowing that he might still have a few adventures left for me. Yeah, that is (laughs) so. Well, let's pray. 
Father God, I thank you so, so much for this story of a quiet couple who faithfully followed you in hard times. We are so, so grateful. Lord, help us in these fear-filled times to be faithful followers of you no matter what. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening, friends. Let's dare to be different and live faithful lives no matter how fearful the world around us looks. Do come back next week for episode 63 in our Faithful Living in a Fear-Filled World series. We've called it Dare to Obey, Joseph's Story. We are so glad you stopped for a while with us. The Sweet Sela Moments podcast is a cooperative production of Word Radio and Sweet Sela Ministries. More information about this podcast can be found at sweetsela.org. Thank you for joining us.